Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. Expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. March 23rd, 2022. On today's episode, we're going to discuss going on the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. This is Slash Home Editorial Director Peter Soretta. And joining me on today's podcast is our Star Wars expert, Brian Young. Thank you for having me, Peter. Uh, thanks for joining me. I, I wanted to do this last week. I, you know, it's been a couple weeks since we've been on the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. And Literally not an hour goes by that I don't think about it. Like, I feel very much the same way. <laughs> and I, I, I've been so excited to geek out with you, Brian, about this. And usually with these podcasts, I'm not sure if people actually ever look at the the show notes, but we, we usually have a plan of some sort. Today, we have no plan. It's just going to be Brian and I discussing this thing. Um, I know a lot of people are curious about this. So, so if you don't know what this is, uh, the brief overview is that Walt Disney World has opened what they call what people are calling the Star Wars Hotel. I think that's uh, very inaccurate and dismissive. Yes, you you stay there overnight. There are beds, but it, it's not really a hotel. It's an experience. It's uh, Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. So this is a two night, two day experience where you live inside the Star Wars galaxy and you are a part of the adventure. And it's um, I know a lot of people are curious about this because it's it's expensive and we can have the discussion later, Brian, <laughs> if it's yeah. worth it or not. I, I know that's the number one question I've gotten since I've gone on it is like, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? So we'll, we'll hold that to later to keep you guys listening. But um, but yeah, so uh, I guess let's start at the beginning. Brian, uh, what, what were your well, actually before we start at the beginning, let me say that there's. We're we're not going to spoil spoil major moments of this experience. Or we're going to try not to, but it, it's kind of hard to talk about this and uh, the experience as a whole without, um, you know, talking about the <laughs> the premise and uh, some of the characters involved and some of the experiences involved. So that has been your warning, Brian. What was your what did you think of the Galactic Star Cruiser? So I, I think to kind of start with how I felt about it. Um, I want to go back to the opening week of Star Tours at Disneyland in the <laughs> 80s. 
And I was like, I, w- I think it opened in 86 or so. I was a six-year-old kid, and I was there opening week for Star Tours. And I remember feeling that I would never, never again feel like I'd stepped into Star Wars the way I did with that childlike wonder and seeing R2 and 3PO there in person and stepping into a star speeder and being able to jump to hyperspace and stuff like i thought that star tours was the pinnacle of immersion for star wars in real life then when galaxy's edge opened i was like it can't get better than this right because like you walk in there and you are bowled over by the side of the millennium falcon like it's the millennium falcon and it is full size and you get to fly it and it feels like you're in there they did the most amazing job recreating every step of the way to get into the bridge there. Um, and rise of the resistance lets you step into it. Right. But they're theme park rides. Sometimes the cast plays along with you. Sometimes they don't, there's no overriding story to all of it to tie the narrative together. When we boarded our shuttle, which is, I mean, like realistically, let's, let's, you know, you get in an elevator and you take you go to the hotel, but you you get in a shuttle and fly up to this spaceship and everything is so overwhelmingly immersive from the moment you step aboard the ship to the moment you leave. I was that six year old kid on Star Tours again and and in a way that Star Tours hasn't hit me in a long time, um, especially since when when Galaxy's Edge opened, Star Tours lost a lot of its luster as far as that immersion goes where it's just like oh that's very much child's play now you know what i mean (laughs) um but this allowed me to step into star wars and play in star wars in a way that i've never been able to and that i'm dying to get back to see i i mean i have read a lot about this experience leading up to this you know it's been in development for five six seven years something like that uh so i knew a lot about it but i think what i wasn't expecting when I was, I think I was expecting Galaxy's Edge. I was expecting to be immersed in the world of Star Wars. And I understood that, the, you know, it was going to be more interactive and, and such. But on day two, at the end of day two, I, I had like an emotional breakdown where I started crying because it just, the, the realization that, this is this is not a hotel. This is um, th- this is a piece of art that you experience from the inside, and not do, not only do you experience it from the inside, but you are a part of it. Yeah, I think that that's. Um, it reminds me of I, I don't know. Like I'm a huge Disney nerd, and and I missed the boat completely on the Adventurers Club. Me too. And I will look up videos from the Adventurers Club. I will read stories and blogs about it. And I just like wistfully look at that past of, of immersion that Disney used to create. For those who don't know, the Adventurers Club was a sort of themed. I, it's it, it was a themed like experience where the actors all had parts and they played with you very much in the same way throughout the course of this bar that uh, they do on gal in, in, in um, 
well, how they they sort of build that they would be in Galaxy's Edge, but how they definitely do on the Star Cruiser. But it was set in sort of this 1920s or 30s sort of Jungle Cruise sort of theming. They retired it in the late 90s. I never got to go. But going back night after night, you could have these different adventures and side stories with everyone. And so like in the lead up, I was like, if they give me a half of what I feel like <laughs> the Adventurers Club might have been, um, I would be all in. And Disney has they, they this long history half. of it. They, oh, they, they give they, you like triple. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it's such an immersive experience that I can't even begin to like. It's hard to describe it. And And you're right. Like. People are like, oh, it's the Star Wars Hotel. It's so dismissive to call it that because it's for one, even just like even if you take like the hotel experience, it's more akin to a cruise than a hotel. Right. Like all the food is included, even like the only drinks you have to pay for are the alcoholic ones. You could go hang out in the bar and order free drinks and free appetizers the whole time. Right. Because you've paid for this in the non-alcoholic drinks you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, like I said, because the only the, ones you have to pay for is the yeah. alcohol. Yeah. Um, and you know, it was great seeing kids in there playing sabak. Um, but like, it it's a cruise experience, right? It has that level of customer service and food quality. And I mean, I've been on a Disney cruise. I've been to all the best restaurants in the parks. The best food I've ever had on Disney property was aboard the Halcyon, right? Like. <laughs> they're not skimping on any part of the experience because you are paying a premium for the fact that it's a luxury experience. You're supposed to be those, those assholes from Canto bite uh, to a degree. I think it's not like you're, you're not in steerage class, um, but also you're paying for the fact that there are very highly skilled performers that are putting a play on around you and involving you in a way that's not it's not usual yeah it, it's strange because i feel like this can't be compared to anything a cruise is like the closest thing but even that i feel like is not you know one-to-one -one because on a cruise i can relax brian <laughs> on this uh and it might be my biggest criticism uh, and i don't want to say criticism because that makes it uh sound worse than it is it's it's like non-stop you are in a star wars movie for two days straight and i mean you could just hang out in the subway lounge you could just go back to your cabin but i think to get your full money's worth you're going to want to be involved and things are just happening every minute yeah no i i had this i i came with um, so I got, I got, uh, I got married on the ship, um, <laughs> and my new wife and the friend that we, we, we brought with us, um, we commented all after the experience that it was exhausting, right? Like we did a day at, uh, the part, like we, we had like our press junket interviews and stuff. And then after that, I went to Hollywood studios and Epcot for the rest of the day. And it was just like, I dragged the whole time because it was so <laughs> exhausting to participate at that level. And that's not a complaint, right? Like I want star Wars to so thoroughly use me and drain me for that two days that, that it's worth it. But I would think twice about 
going to the parks again the next time. You know what I mean? Like right after, because I'd want a day to like actually just do nothing and recharge. Yeah, this is this is not a you know vacation where you're laying on a beach. This is Comic Con, right? <laughs> this is um, I you know I find Comic Con way more stressful, and maybe that's just because like <laughs> when I go to Comic Con, I'm working Comic Con, yeah, right? Yeah. And and there's way too many people there. the The amount of people there, even during the pandemic, uh, that that can even like what the capacity of the ship is feels much more manageable than comic-con and it doesn't feel like you're you're like with comic-con it's it's all shoulder to shoulder everywhere and yeah you might be in costumes and stuff but like getting attention from anybody or doing anything you're waiting in a line for who knows how long um i didn't feel like there were any lines or anything right like there was a couple times where you'd have to wait to to horn in on a conversation with one of the face characters um but they were pretty good about evening their time out with everybody and moving on so that everybody had a chance to do that without waiting. You know what I mean? Like I didn't feel like I was waiting in any lines for anything. Um, and, and the way they, they used the app to drive some of that scheduling to keep everyone separate. Um, and to make sure that you're in groups small enough to experience things at their maximum capacity is really smart. And I will say some of my favorite my absolute favorite moments were moments that I'd look around and it was stuff that I was, I was the only one seeing or doing, or that there were only a few other people around seeing it. Right. That's one of the most amazing things about this experience to me is, and I had this realization, I think on the first night when I talked to you, um, because we were both there, by the way, we should, we should say that we were both there on a press voyage on that voyage, we were invited by Disney. We didn't pay. I did get to go back on the March 1st voyage, and I did pay full price. Um, I don't think that changes our opinions because we were invited by Disney. Um, you know, we have integrity and have a uh, responsibility and uh, viewers, listeners, that um, well, and, I mean, we here, would lose if thing. we were going to just throw it away for a you know, few thousand dollars. You, you paid to go back. I'm going to pay to go back. Like, I think that's putting our money where our mouth is that, that even on the press voyage, we enjoyed the experience enough to put our own money up to go back. I don't know, Brian, I, I know outside of press, not even anybody on the press voyage. I know probably a dozen people that have gone on this so far that have paid full price and not a single one of them isn't currently scheming to go back and pay again. Like I, I think that's the best possible like endorsement of this event of, of this experience for a Star Wars fan. Um, but I, I want to get back to what uh, we were saying about the like experiencing these little moments and stuff. The, the thing that blew my mind was that there was all these like the story is always ongoing and what blew my mind was that there are moments, there's big things that like only one person will see. You know, there's one point yeah. that like something was going on around the corner between uh, the captain and the first order officer that uh, boards the ship and nobody was watching them. They were having the conversation. I did. I, I was listening around the corner and they, they were still. So literally there was a moment that was happening in the story that no one was seeing. I mean, I guess there, I was seeing over. I was listening. Yeah, but. no, you were. Um, there is a moment. So this is kind of a bit of a spoiler. Um, so, so heads up for that, but like 
there are moments when Ray and Chewie show up on the ship. Yeah. Like, um, and it's always really shocking. But one of the moments that I got to see that was like overpowering to the point of tears was uh, down on the fourth deck, which is where the the dining room and the lightsaber training and the climate simulator are and a whole bunch of rooms. There's this foyer uh, that has the elevators sort of between all of that, like the engineering bays around there, too, I think. Yeah. Um, and the cargo hold. Actually, there's a lot down on that fourth deck. Um, <laughs> Ray and Chewie saw each other for the first time. And the the cast member playing Ray brought to it that same like relief about seeing Chewie again that Daisy Ridley brought to seeing Chewie alive in Rise of Skywalker. And it was so overwhelming and they embraced and there was like I looked around and there was like six of us seeing this. Brian, I've, like, I've been on this twice now. I have not seen that moment. It's, I, I didn't even know that moment existed. Um, well, and, but that's the thing too, right? Like these performers, it can't always work like a Swiss watch. Maybe these moments are different every voyage because the timing gets messed up a little bit here or there. Like there's no way to know how to be in the right place at the right time for anything because the story is just unfolding so organically. Yeah. But it, even the big moments where, so there is a bridge which uh, controls the ship, you know, that's where they do the weapons, that's the, where they do the navigation, they do the loading, and what is the other one? Shields. Um, and at one point uh, during your first day, you go onto this bridge and they teach you all the different roles and you get to play. I mean, they're basically kind of like small little mini games, which on video don't even look that cool, but when you're there playing with your friends, it's so much fun. But um, spoiler alert, you know, something always goes wrong and you end up having to partake in a mission of some sort at the end of that to do something. And I'm not going to say what happens because honestly, I don't even know all of them because so yeah, when I was in there, something happened and I was a, you know, we were a big part of, of, of some kind of big storyline. I don't want to go into specifics. And then after I talked to you, and I think this is in our video and you had a completely like, so they could just be completely redoing the same moment. So everybody experiences the same part of the story, but depending on when you're in the bridge, the story that's happening is the story that happens at that point of time in the story. If that makes sense. Yeah. So like when you were doing your bridge experience, I was in my room at that point, right? Yeah. I had taken a break cause I was decompressing from too many people um, and I was getting ready for dinner because I had the first dinner show. And um, we jumped to hyperspace and I'm looking at the the screen. So if you have the TV on like, yeah, sure, you can go into your room and you can watch some Disney Plus. But why would you? Um, uh, the default for that is some sort of. Uh, um, uh, like a map like, layout. It's like a map of where you're at and we jumped to hyperspace and all of a sudden we're in an asteroid field and we're seeing this asteroid field and sort of stuff play out. And uh, we're like, what the hell is going on? By the way, and we can't assume that people know 
what's going on here. So your cabin, which is kind of like a cruise cabin, it's a small cabin. Each one has a viewport that is into yeah. space. You have a view. It's like a window into the space that's outside. It's, you know, a projection, but whatever. So you're talking about you looking now, not at your TV in your cabin that shows the map, but you're looking at the, the asteroids outside. Out, out the window, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so we're looking at it going like, what's going on? And as we're getting ready for dinner, uh, prepping for dinner, you know, we see some hints of laser flashes and stuff. And we're like, I wonder what is happening in the story going on out here. Then we jump to hyperspace again a couple minutes later. And we're back where we were supposed to be. And we can see the planet outside. And I, I talked to um, uh, Matt Martin and he said that the Imagineers have made it so that like, depending on which side of the ship you're on and which level you're on, your view is different no matter what out your viewport. And it's all um, it's all like correct compared to what's going on in the bridge. Um but then as soon as we jumped out of hyperspace the second time, a paper slips under our door. And it's the captain apologizing for these unexplained hyperspace trips. I look outside, you know, I slide open the door because the doors, doors all slide open because it's Star Wars and there's no one in the hallway. I have no idea like how long that paper had been sitting there, but I certainly noticed it after we'd been to hyperspace. And I took this letter with me to dinner, just trying to figure out what had happened. And then that's when something happened at dinner. Um, and I remember us talking about it later. And I was like, I, we, I had been to dinner and I was like, some cool stuff happened, but I don't want to tell you because I don't want to ruin it because I think we were both under the impression that the same thing would happen. And yeah. I wrote about this in my slash film piece about like what to know and what to expect. Compare notes with other passengers, especially if they have different events, because that's the only way to experience the whole story, right? And I don't know, like I didn't know what had happened in that first bridge training that you were at. All I saw was the us jump to hyperspace out the window and go, what the hell is going on? <laughs> and then get the apology from the captain and then get curious and have to ask questions. And it wasn't until dinner that I realized something had happened. Then, and it wasn't until my bridge training later that I realized what had happened at the previous bridge training and how things were changing during my bridge training. Yeah, and it affected the, your story. Yeah. What happened before, it affected your story. And the, the thing is that's interesting about this is you could have not talked to other people and learned the other stuff and still understood the story because you're experiencing it from your point of view. But hearing the other point of views enhances the yeah. story. Yeah. You want to to compare notes. Um, and... And that was how I got involved in some other other storylines that I didn't I wasn't actively participating in in the app. And I've heard that there's some some worry, like there were some complaints that people felt like they had to be drawn too far into the app. And they're like, I've paid all this money to, like, just look at my phone. I don't think you're on the app too much. Um, the people I was with didn't use the app at all. The Datapad app. They let me do it all. And. I guess they just assumed that like since they weren't using the app, they were just coming to all of my scheduled events. Um, so I, they just I wonder it, if it schedules it that way. I wonder if that's how it works. Well, it does because they would check their schedules and I, as I would complete missions, they would end up in the same place as I would so that we didn't have to break up. And I think they're probably tracking that with the magic bands. 
Uh, but you don't have to use the app at all. If you're with somebody um, who is using the app and going through the missions that way, you can just vicariously do it from them and not have to look at the data pad. Um, and that was what the folks that were with me, that was the experience they had. Yeah. Um, I, I do think that, that, that is one of my biggest criticisms of this experience is because there's so many moving parts. It, I understand why they do it, Brian. Like there's so many people on the ship. There's probably like, what, 350 people per voyage, probably around that. And you need, you know, there the way the story uh, the way you interact with the story happens in a number of ways. You could be talking to characters, right? Like I could go up to Lieutenant Croy, who is the first order uh, lieutenant who has come on board. He's uh, suspecting that something is going on because this ship, the Halcyon that we are aboard, the itinerary happens to go to a lot of areas that have resistance activity and he suspects something's going on. Uh, so he's aboard the ship. I could, I could go up to him and talk to him and be like, Lieutenant, you know, I want to help you out in this mission. You know, what do you need me to do? So that's some one my, way. Some of my favorite interactions were with Lieutenant Croy. Yeah, he's hilarious. Uh, we'll talk about the characters in a second. Um, but so you can interact by in face with the characters. Obviously, there's only what, like six or seven there, there's a handful. You can of... do it with all the cast members too, though, and yeah, that yeah. some of my favorite interactions with the face characters arose out of the interactions with the other cast members, and I can tell that story later too. Okay, um, uh, but really briefly, the other thing that can happen is your magic band. Your magic band uh, gets you, at, or I guess they call it the M band on, on the ship. The data band. Data band. Uh, yeah. You have to use it to access certain areas. Sometimes you don't have access to those areas. Sometimes you do. There's terminals around the ship that you you scan your data your data band to. There's a thing inside your cabin that you scan your data pin to. So doing things on those terminals and stuff like that, that can advance the story. And then there's also the Oh, and also at some points, the characters might be like, you know, Lieutenant Croy at one point like called me over and was like, here, uh, you know, scan your data band here, here, you know, I'll, and I'll contact you later. So like. The, oh, did you go first order for your second voyage? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Oh, I'm so curious about that because um, I kind of went mainly resistance with a little bit of like the scoundrel stuff in my voyage. And I've heard that first order is like two hundred percent different. It is. It, it's a lot different. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll discuss that in a second. Um, wait. So did I did I discuss? Oh, and then the the fourth way of interacting is through the datapad app, which basically when you come on board, there's like this conversation you have with Lanka Mock, who is the cruise director, who she's she kind of was like, I think is kind of like the first like branching path that you want to decide and she's kind of like oh what are you more like do you do, you, do your alliances you know align more with the resistance or the first order or the jedi or you know are you in it for yourself it, it's not said in that way but it's something like yeah. that and so and when i put that in our video a lot of people are like oh there's only four different paths there aren't four different paths there like those are the the first branches, but there's so much more going on in the ship than just that. There's there's a love story that's going on. There's you know which, galactic which has superstar. nothing to do with the app. Yeah, there's no there's no missions for the love story in the app, 
as far as I can tell. I, I don't think there is. I think that's all done through either face to face. Uh, yeah, there, there's a Galactic Superstar board. I think th some of that becomes part of the app um, because Wraith Cole, you know, likes to <laughs> guy as manager likes to uh, hack into the system. Um, but yeah, so uh, I don't know where I was going with this. So yeah, okay. So what I, where I was going with this when you go to Batu, the data pad is the big is I would say is the component. It's, it, there isn't another component to your interactions in the story on Batu. You have to do the missions on the data pad. And I, I, it's the I, same stuff that you do kind of did on the data pad when you were in Galaxy's Edge when it first so opened. There, there are some elements to it that are different that I like better that were sort of what I felt was promised I would get to interact in those ways in Galaxy's Edge. Like there was a point, again, I don't know if this is a spoiler or not, but like the app i had to contact a forger to create some stuff for the resistance that was going on uh the ship that we needed to get some things and in order to contact the forger i needed to get the contact information from oga and to do that i had to flash a symbol to my bartender at oga's cantina and they slipped a coaster under my drink with a special barcode on it that would let me do more stuff in the app. But just that interaction with an actual human person who was like in on the joke and acting like covertly with this cool coaster was super cool. And I really hoped that galaxy's edge would be way more full of that stuff um, from the get go, but we didn't really get it until this. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that that, that mission, I had that mission, and I think that's the the height of how cool it gets on Galaxy's Edge, if that makes sense. Uh, I wish more of that was more practical, you interacting with, even if it's just a face, you know, just a normal cast member on Batu. Like, um, at one point, uh, I'm trying to think of how to say it. At one point, there's a mission that you could get involved with that you have to go somewhere on Batu to the marketplace and you need to bring back a, a, a stone of some kind. Did you participate in that, Brian? I didn't. The one that I participated in was that I had to go to um, the droid depot and pick up some data tapes. And that dictated what I was doing at the big finale. And I was, I wanted to talk to you about the finales too, which is why I was kind of yeah. hoping we'd get into more spoilers because they, they split everybody off into groups of like eight to 12. Yeah. And I was in the engineering room for my finale and it was amazing. And I was like crying because like Sammy and Chewie gave like the most rousing speech uh, and we had to save everybody on the ship and the data pads, the data tapes that we brought that we arranged to get from Batu figured prominently into that story and what we had to do. Yeah. And I haven't talked to anybody about what they had to do during that finale yet. Oh, really? Um, yeah. See, I hesitate to talk about it this early in the podcast. Um, well, we can wait till later. We can talk about it later. Okay, let, let, uh, bring that back up at the end, because I feel like that if there's anything that's major spoilers, I feel like it's the finale mission. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, which I do want to talk about because I experienced something very cool with Ray, which was, yeah, I want to talk about it. Um, but yeah, it, it, all of it. Yeah, I, I, I guess my thing with the data pad is 
Uh, it's ne a necessary evil. I don't really love doing it, but if you do go on this thing and you go to Batu, well, first of all, I'd go to Batu, even if you've been there a billion times. Do the missions because if you don't do those missions, the cool stuff that happens because you did those missions won't happen later on. And that's at that least is, for you. What was that? At least for you. At least for you, yeah. Um, I mean, I guess and you I could would also say it's worth it. Like, like Brian's it's, friends. Yeah, no, it, it's it's um it's worth it to go down there, A, for the the shuttle ride, right? Yeah. Which is really cool to to be able to have the actual immersive experience into Batu where you you um fly there in a shuttle and you don't have to see the rest of the parks and you don't have to go to the rest of the parks. Um you know, and and for the fast passes for Rise of the Resistance, right? Like to be able to walk on to Rise of the Resistance. When I walked on to Rise of the Resistance with my Halcyon, like they give you a little pin to signify you as a Halcyon passenger. And they walked me right up and there was me and like four other people from the house Halcyon that went to Rise of the Resistance. And they put us in the briefing pod by ourselves. And so we got to ride it as though no one else was around. That's awesome. And that whole experience is customized in a way that I'm not going to spoil here, but um, it is customized to your experience because the story on the Halcyon actually leads into Smuggler's Run. It actually gives your mission on Smuggler's Run so much more um, stakes. There's so much, uh, I don't know, it, 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 it basically we've been experiencing Smuggler's Run without... Smuggler's Run has been like the finale of, or like the, you know, the, the second act, uh, the mid-second act uh, tentpole scene of a movie that we've been experiencing without seeing the full, you know, first and it, second it half of the act. It didn't make sense, really. Like, I was like on board with Smuggler's Run. It's like, why is Chewie giving Hondo the Falcon for coax? Like... It was. It felt very con convoluted, right? Until the Halcyon. Then you go on the Halcyon. You're like, oh, this all makes sense. Yeah, and and uh, I almost wish that, like, I know for years or since this is open, I've all the people that love Galaxy's Edge are like, we love Galaxy's Edge, we love Smuggler's Run, but I hope they add more missions to Smuggler's Run. I almost wish that this Coaxium uh, mission ends up at some point becoming just for guests of the Halcyon because it like. It almost doesn't make sense without it. Um, and I, I feel like there's there could be cooler missions that you, you could do uh, if you weren't part of the the Halcyon storyline. Um, and Rise of the Resistance, when I was on planet, I think I was talking to you on planet after I had gotten off Rise of the Resistance. I was like, I'm kind of disappointed that this doesn't connect into the things more in, in the way that Smuggler's Run did. But that was before I got back on board and realized that where Smuggler's Run is kind of like the climactic moment of a storyline, Rise of the Resistance is the beginning of yeah. you know, what, what's going to happen in your second day on the ship. Yeah. The events it of really that is. affects everything. It, it's the inciting incident, I should say. So um, what else did we talk about? Okay, we've talked about Batu. Uh, do you want to talk about the characters? We were going to get a lot of new characters, but I didn't necessarily think we were going to get some of the legacy characters the way we did, although that I don't know why I, I should have thought that. 
But um, <laughs> the characters that we had on the, sh the ship are so rich that I'd almost like to see them in other storytelling. But something tells me that we wouldn't because um, they're going to want to be able to switch out actors and have some continuity. Granted, they do that with Vimerati or Ray or whatever, but like at least in the press photos that they gave us to use, the Lieutenant Croy that they use there is so vastly different than the one that we saw in the press voyage. I don't know if you got a, a different Lieutenant Croy when you went a, a second time. No, it's the, the same one we had in our press voyage. And he was good. He yeah. was really good. Um, but yeah. By the way, one of the cool things is because the actors look different on the Datapad app, when you have different actors, the, the the photos of the characters that you're talking to on the data pad are the actors that you are talking to. Um, did you have any different actors on your second voyage? We um, uh, we only had uh, Sandro was different, so which is kind of weird because the Sandro that we had on the press voyage, uh, what what kind of alien is that, Brian? I believe he was a Mary Allen. Yeah, on um, on my second voyage, he had. Um, the, the Ahsoka tales, the, uh, the Togruta Montrals. Yeah. yeah. And it was a different actor. So it, it's weird that like, there's this one character that has the same name and the same story, but he changes what species he is depending on. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So I'm not sure how you would even t tell that story uh, if you continued that character because which one do you pick? But it, it, I mean, to your point though, they 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 do have a book coming out. Um, what is that, uh, Princess and Scoundrel? Or yeah, but Princess and the Scoundrel happens, you know, twenty five thirty years prior to your boarding of the ship. But I I, I tend to believe, and a lot of people were calling. A lot of people were mad when they announced this because there was like a. It was badly written on the the StarWars.com announcement. It basically sounded like this was going to be a book that's basically promoting this, you know, five thousand dollar Star Wars hotel experience. And I, I I think what we're going to end up getting, I could be wrong here, but I think what we're going to end up getting is a story that is so it is needed. It's a prequel story that's going to establish. Uh, Leia Organa being on the ship and how she developed a relationship with uh, some people that are still on the ship, which, you know, becomes a big center point to why this whole story happens. It's like they've they've done some of that, too, with Galaxy's Edge. I mean, you can definitely talk to Vimerati about Cardinal, right, yeah. who was a character in the Phasma book and the Black Spire book. Um, and I have. And those have been some really great interactions with Vimerati. Um, and so I'm assuming that whatever book comes out, that the actors aboard who have some of that continuity will have some of that knowledge and be able to um, talk to you about it in those ways. But there is so much stuff with the face characters. They have so much business that they do that um, it's just a, it's just amazing what they do and how they do it in character. Um, I, I would love to read books of the Wraith Cole character. I feel like yeah, that, that would me be too. great comics or whatever. I mean, hopefully there is. I, I will say this. That I, w I did know that the legacy characters were going to show up because uh, I think they announced that pretty early on. At least they announced it with the Stormtroopers and Chewbacca, I think they showed on like screen at D23 years ago. Um, 
but I wasn't expecting to fall in love with the character, these new characters that were created for this experience in the way. Um, I, I think maybe it's in the way that a lot of people love Vi and Galaxy's Edge. I, I've never really developed th- that kind of relationship. But I, when I left my voyage um, aboard the Halcyon, I was like literally Ketra and I were having a discussion of how we were we were sad that we're not going to be able to spend more time with these characters again. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, Sammy, Sammy really wormed his way into my heart. And same with Lieutenant <laughs> Croy. My... Of all of the interactions I had with the characters on the ship, Lieutenant Croy's were my favorite. I mean, I was definitely playing the resistance and I don't think it's a spoiler to say that like you can definitely ask cast members in any station like what, um, you know, about other characters and they'll give you little nuggets of info to like use later. But there was a moment where we were asking the one of just one of the maybe it was on the transport to Batu, where we were asking what it was like to have Lieutenant Croy on the ship, because I don't think it's a secret to know that like the first orders on the ship and Lieutenant Croy sort of uh, makes himself a guest on the ship. Um, and they were like, he's insufferable. He ordered 36 towels to his room <laughs> last night. And we're like, what, what was he doing with the towels? And she was like, I don't even know. So later that day, after we got back from Batu, we're trying to break into the engineering room, which is a restricted area. And it says very clearly that it's a restricted area. We're trying to get into there and there's no one else around. But Lieutenant Croy sneaks up on us and he's just like, what are you doing trying to get into that restricted area? And in order for us to bluff, the only thing in our mind is like, uh, what did you need all those towels for? And without missing a beat, he launches into this 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 rant about how like different towels are used for different things and of course you need different towels for things and (laughs) and he just without missing a beat does this so later toward the finale there's a moment where i'm trying to get in his way to sort of prevent him from doing something awful and i make eye contact with him and go where's your towel and the glare he gave me was so perfect and like it just it was one of my favorite things ever. And I've never been able to be in a Star Wars experience like that where I could carry that story with like a beginning, a middle and an end that perfectly that way. Um, and to have that tailored interaction with one of the face characters where he is glaring at something I said, like I cut him. I, I had so many interactions with Lieutenant Cry that were just hilarious. Uh, th- there was... um. There was a journalist aboard our uh, voyage, the one that you were on, uh, named Brooke McDonald, and um, she had her her sons aboard. And one of the sons decided to, I think the son's name is Aiden, decided to become part of the First Order. And she posted this clip of like all the adventures that Aiden and her her son and Lieutenant Croy went on during the course of the. It, it is hilarious. Um, because he he was like the the one kid helping out the first order aboard the, the ship, um, but he was just so on his game. These actors are incredible. Because first of all, not only are they remembering the entire script, like there is a script here because I've seen it twice, and it, you know a lot of the stuff happens. Uh, you know a lot of the 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 same stuff is said. But then it's very different in a way because 
you know, there's a component of people are a part of this thing. There, there's definitely a moment that I think was one of my other favorite moments that was much more broad and everyone was involved in. And I can imagine it being very different depending on the people and which paths they're on. Yeah. Um, Because a lot of people ask me, they're like, oh, can you change the ending? Can like the first order win? And I, it's not about that. I don't think that the, the story changes dramatically based on the interaction. It's, it's more of how you experience the story. Um, I've always, I've always heard about this play in New York called sleep. No more. Have you ever heard about this, Brian? No, I haven't. I think it's a retelling of Macbeth and it takes place in this, um, apartment building and you go in i could be getting this wrong so i've heard this uh, a bunch of times from a bunch of people but you go in there you buy a ticket and you basically for one night experience this play you you are a ghost in this story so nobody can interact with you you can't interact with everybody but the the play goes on from room to room you know you could follow this you know random you know D level side character and, and follow their journey, or you could be following the main plot. Do you know what I mean? So it, it, it's like this, this immersive theater concept that I've always wanted to experience because my, my favorite thing, one of my favorite things in movies or stories are like movies that have like these ensemble of characters and the storylines sometimes diverge and go on their own separate ways. And then when they cross over and connect it happens in a spectacular fashion, you know, like um, I'm trying to think of examples of this, like Pulp Fiction or Go. I, I mean, I, I guess mm-hmm. those are told in Magnolia. Yeah, Magnolia. Yeah, exactly. So th- those are some of my favorite stories. And the great thing about this is you are in that. You can choose, I'm going to go follow uh, the new engineer that's been hired on this ship. And I can you know, find out his story or like there's this alien, that passenger that has sold everything to come on the ship because, you know, he really loves uh, this galactic uh, uh, superstar Gaia and he wanted to see her perform. And, you know, you could follow his story. So wait, you could- wait, I didn't even know that this person was a character. I did not interact with this person at all. Wait, what? The Sandro. person who... Oh, Sandro, Sandro. Oh, right, right, yeah, right, yeah. right, right, right. <laughs> no, that's, that's his that story. Yeah. I didn't hear that part of his story. All I heard is that he was in love with Arani. Yeah. So, yeah, that's another character. Like, so Gaia, who's this galactic superstar, she has a keyboardist named, I, th- I think it's Awani. Awani? I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, but um, she, by the way, amazing. I've, I've been wanting aliens in Galaxy's Edge. This character, you know, breaking the immersion for a second, has this this head that the eyes blink, the mouth moves. It It is like everything I've always wanted from, like, a Star Wars alien in a, you know, immersive theme park environment. Uh, but, yeah, she she becomes the, the subject of his affection. And th- that storyline, like, actually has a lot to it. There's a lot to that storyline. Well... And the song that he sings by the end of the you know finale is different based on the input that the, he gets from the passengers that are interacting with that story. Yeah, you know another thing I wanted to mention, and I, I don't think this is a spoiler, even though it you know it is the climax, 
is that all these things that happen, all these people that participate throughout this adventure, at some point during the finale, it's almost like you get to be part of the story because you are mentioned by the characters. Yeah. In in, in in the story, like they they will bring a list off characters that help like that help them along the way and help them do certain things and bring up certain moments and stuff like that. So it's like it's not just you're helping this like theatrical written story happen. Like you change it in a way. Like I don't you don't change the the outcome, but like you become part of it. Yeah, you definitely feel like you can be like whether you change the outcome, like we're at a fixed point in Star Wars canon, right? Like you can't get in the way of Kylo Ren and tackle him (laughs) and change the outcome of Rise of Skywalker, right? Like you can't do that. But what you can do is be part of this plucky band of passengers on this cruise ship that happen to accidentally get involved in galactic events in a way that they never expected and see how they can help the resistance do their thing. Or if you're part of the first order, um, I don't know. I'm interested to see how I, I really want to talk to you about how it, it, it was playing on the first order side and, and doing those missions, because I don't know that it would be as satisfying. Like when you're playing resistance and the finale comes around, you're very roused and riled and like, yes, you know, because you win and, <laughs> the resistance goes on you know like what is that for the the first order i mean it, it's the same thing brian but I, I will say that i do think the optimal alliance or you know affiliation to go with is probably not the first order just because there really is only one character that you can kind of interact with on a regular basis if that makes sense because there are stormtroopers aboard the ship but they Which- are they have pre-recorded lines. Is it pre-recorded? I don't know how pre-recorded it is because there are moments I talked to, um, again, I talked to Matt Martin about this, about uh, an experience that the people I was at witnessed and they showed me the video of, and he's like, we didn't write or approve any of those lines. Those guys are going totally off script. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So like there was a moment where in the climate simulator, you know how like part of it is that uh, they stack rocks, right? Yeah. The, yeah. the, um, Chandrilla, uh, is where the ship is from. And like, there's this thing about them stacking rocks there. And there's a part of the, the climate simulator where you can do that. It's this very solemn place. Oh, by the um, way, we should mention the climate simulator is basically like an outdoor area. That's, uh, the, the premise is that since we're going to Batu, it is simulating the, the atmosphere of Batu. So if Batu is cold, we feel that if Batu's warm, we feel that, um, but basically it's just an outdoor courtyard in Florida for you to get so, some air. So the two stormtroopers are in there and one of them's just sitting there stacking rocks and talking about how he wants to like, just stay on the ship and be around and hang out. And then like, um, other people are knocking rocks down and he's getting pissed that they're knocking the rocks down. Hmm. And he's zealously guarding the rocks that he has stacked. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, like that wasn't part of the script. I don't know how they do the stormtrooper voices. Cause I don't know. Like I thought it was pre-recorded like, like stuff too, but it seems like they've gone off script in enough ways that sort of baffled and confused the people who would have approved all of their dialogue. 
that I don't know. I don't know how they do that. Well, I can tell you in my, my play of the First Order, I never felt like there was a moment where they were off script. But maybe there maybe there is that possibility. I don't know. But I, I do feel like when you are the First Order, most of your interactions are going through Lieutenant Croy, who is amazing. But I feel like if you are resistance or you are a smuggler or you are a Jedi, because all those kind of things can kind of zen diagram against each other more than first order you have a yeah. lot more characters that you can kind of interact with on a in, in a friendly manner that yeah that definitely gives you different options because i mean there's a jedi path that i had like zero interaction with <laughs> right even though i did lightsaber training like none of my interactions really like i saw the results of that storyline but i didn't see any of the fruit like i didn't see any of the the build up to it um, the scoundrel storyline, I was sort of, I did some adjacent things too, and had been introduced to that storyline a little bit, but I think I missed the boat on a couple of things. Um, but you can do all of those things in parallel with the resistance thing because they align in their goals. The first order doesn't really have anyone else on the ship that aligns with their goals. Yeah. So I, I would say that is probably a weakness of, of picking the first order storyline, and also, if you pick the First Order storyline and the other people in your group are resistance, I mean, you're going to get split up anyways based on what paths you take and stuff like that, but it, you're going to get more split up if you're First Order and there is, do you know what I mean? Like it's, you yeah. don't kind of have that crossover that you, you would with if you were a smuggler or a Jedi because those can still do the like you know it still kind of has a crossover with the resistance you're still kind of of that same ilk you're not on the other side of the fence so uh but yeah uh i gaia we should talk about gaia she's incredible uh yeah and they've been laying groundwork for her for a while and i didn't even notice there's a track of gaia's on dj rex's music mix that came out like a year or two ago <laughs> there's there's actually so many easter eggs in galaxy's edge that i didn't even realize of stuff for the halcyon like um in oga's cantina there's a a board on the wall there and one of the things on that board is a there's a new job opening for an engineer aboard the halcyon oh i love when they do stuff like that yeah and that's been there all, all along we just didn't notice it um so but um uh we should talk about Gaia real quickly because the first night of the voyage you have this so uh the lunches are done in the dining room but it's a buffet lunch which I still love it, it, that makes it sound lesser than but the buffet food was all pretty great like it was all yeah. otherworldly looking but you know tasted like things we kn we know there's it's definitely too like talk to the staff they're there to answer questions about things and um i'm largely uh like a vegetarian and the people there never had any problem like accommodating things like or i'm like a like a pescatarian i'll eat dairy and stuff and so like a lot of the stuff was wrapped in like 
bacon or whatever they were talking about, like Nuna jerky bacon or I don't know, whatever it was. And they never had any problems changing that stuff at the buffet or special ordering it. So it didn't have the ingredients I didn't want on it. Um, but it was all really good. But ask about stuff, right? Like there was a muffin plate and there was a little pat of, uh, uh, you know, blue milk butter, but my my wife now had no idea what it was she was just like i wonder what this dessert is and she put it in her mouth not realizing that it was butter for the muffins <laughs> and i was like i was like it's all blue milk like of course the dairy is blue and she's like well that makes sense now but um i i know another person that this happened to as well so oh yeah so so yeah don't hesitate to ask questions and all of the cast members um even the ones like working the dinner lines are playing in character and can give you information and talk to you about anything happening on the ship. It's remarkable how much in character every single cast member is, because I feel like when you go to galaxy's edge, you get those cast members who are playing it and are having fun, but then you just get the regular cast member who, I mean, they're still doing their job and helping you out and stuff like that. But like, you know, they're like, do you have an annual pass? Like, you know, they're, they're not in character anymore. <laughs> they're just they're just doing, do, do, you know, just helping you check out at the at Twidarian Toy Maker or whatever. Um, but here it seems like every single character or every single cast member on their name tag it tells you what planet they're from in the Star Wars galaxy. Uh, if, if you ask them about it, every single one of them has a well thought out backstory. They can tell you about it. Um, and when you you ask about food ingredients and stuff like that, even when like you want to know if something has dairy or if it's uh, what kind of meat that is, they'll describe it in star Wars terms and they'll be like, yeah, tip you up. Like, you know, they, they have feathers and they go around pecking. I, I think on, on the planet earth, it's like something called a chicken. So like, they, they won't just be like, Oh, that's chicken. Like they, they, they have a whole, you know, in universe explanation of things, which is kind of cool. Yeah. But, and, it was funny. Like we were asking our server, like what planet is this from? Like what drink, especially with the drinks and the bartenders, it was like, what planet are these from? And there's so many stories about like what the things were. Like there was a drink on the menu about like silver something or other. And the fish that are in the jars on the bar come from that planet. And they give the water, the, the silver color that, the drink is named after yeah. stuff like that. Like everything has a story. Yeah. They're from the S- silver seas of Chandrilla. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it was. And um, yeah, at dinner each night, there's kind of like a, almost like a Disney cruise where it, it is a sit down dinner, but it's also kind of like a dinner show of some kind. So the first night you have the, uh, a night with Gaia. So Gaia is performing on stage, her hits. And I don't know who, you know, again, breaking the immersion here for a second, Brian. I don't know what songwriter they hired to, to write these songs, but they're all like amazing. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I want a CD or a data disc or whatever the Star Wars version of me being able to download this music and, and listen to it. But they don't. All, that's like the one thing I was shocked that wasn't in the gift shop. Yeah, I was. I was really hoping for that as well. I would have walked out with a CD. Um, and that was actually when we looked and found on, um, you know, online, I realized that that Gaia track was on DJ Rex's mix and you can hear it. it he, they play it in galaxy's edge already. Um, 
and I was hoping that more would be coming. I believe there is one. Somebody said at the end of March, there would be one coming. So maybe it's already out. I will look while we're talking. Oh, um, but um, okay. So she's performing. There's obviously some, some other story be- beats that are happening that night. They happen every night. So not, even at dinner, you're not like fully like in relaxation, just enjoying your food mode because all the food looks super interesting. All the food tastes amazing but in addition to that there's the storyline of the first order being on board and how that's affecting the show that's going on and there might be you know uh other stuff that's going on that depending on if you're dinner one or dinner two different things happen because you know they're not just repeating the same story it happens you know if something happens uh, at at dinner one that affects dinner two is that are we in spoiler enough territory? We can say we can get into spoilers because I think this yeah, is one of the it. funnest parts. Um, because on your first bridge voyage, I believe you brought Chewie onto the ship. Yes. And so that was what we were seeing. Those hyperspace jumps was you bringing Chewie on the ship, but we had no idea Chewie was on the ship. We were getting ready for dinner. So we go to dinner and then all of a sudden link a mock comes in to the like we've got no, we should say Lenka Mock is the cruise director she's in charge of the entertainment on the ship so she comes in with Chewbacca crouching down trying to hide right past our table and we're like holy shit Chewie's on the ship and then you see you realize Lieutenant Croy who's a super Gaia fan is on the other side of the dining room watching the performance and that's when Gaia gets everybody up to start dancing to help obscure Chewie and get him out. So uh, away from the first order. And it's like, I I remember talking to you after dinner and you're like, yeah, there, I was like, there's some cool stuff that happened at dinner, but I don't want to spoil anything for you. And I wish I would have known at that point that I should have told you what was going on and what happened because your dinner experience was going to be vastly different. I didn't realize yeah. that they would be completely different shows. I mean, at my dinner... T- Chewbacca did show up and was trying to avoid, but it wasn't the same moment that you had. And during my dinner was when, I guess this is a a bigger spoiler here. Uh, one of the characters basically captured Chewbacca and turned him in. Happened during my dinner, like oh, at the yeah. dinner. So like it, completely different things happen at the different dinners, which is interesting. I'm wondering if the early dinners maybe are things that happen that play more towards well, younger kids because younger kids are probably going to be at the earlier dinner. I don't, I know. don't know. There were some moments during my dinner that were just like perfect, but that actually played into my bridge training. So I was doing my bridge training while you were doing yours. And that was when um, my, my we dinner. Had to- yeah. Your dinner. Yeah. Our my bridge training was happening during your dinner. And that was when someone like they brought Chewie out of the elevators and um, into the or uh, toward the brig. Someone actually sh- like someone who was not in my group on the bridge training texted me to say, holy shit, they just captured Chewie. And then someone else turned around and you could see from the bridge the the first order frog marching him to the brig and someone shouted like someone literally said in those same words like holy shit they captured chewy and that's when <laughs> sammy showed up and linka mock showed up and linka mock is like i've got to turn my droid in to the first order and it 
it was going to be this ruse and it was like everything played out in this really exciting way um, based on what was happening and where I was at the time. So I saw Chewie's capture. I, I saw more. I heard of his capture and saw it through the window and then he- helped with his escape. Um, so you just see different sides of the stories in ways that are just really cool. Yeah, no, it it, it is awesome. There's a moment, I think, on maybe night two where there's this, this whole, you know, we've captured the coaxium on uh, on Batu and brought it back aboard the ship. And Lieutenant Croy has found out about that. So he has taken the coaxium hostage or whatever. And there's this whole heist that goes on for them to steal the coaxium back from the First Order in the atrium, but this is happening while Gaia is performing an acoustic set in, in the middle of the atrium. Uh, and, uh, Wraith Cole, who is the person who is Gaia's manager. And he's the one trying to get this coaxium, uh, recruits the help of a bunch of passengers to basically like shield him. So he can, uh, well, actually he recruits some passengers to not only shield him so that, People won't see him walking with the coaxium, but he also gets some passengers to uh, distract the First Order who are on the other side of the atrium. And this is all going on while like Gaia is like singing her song. And like I was just like standing there in the middle of this atrium while there was like three storylines happening on either side of the atrium. I'm like watching them all happen at the same time. And it really felt like that moment in the movie where you're doing these like, you know, um, these shots of like, you know, uh, the heist going on and then it pans out to reveal, you know, the first order being distracted and it pans out to reveal, you know, it's like all the stuff is colliding at the same time and you could be there and not even notice anything. You could just be there sitting down, listening yeah. to Gaia playing music and have just an, you know, an enjoyable time, but you could also be in it that like you realize that this is the, you know, the big heist moment in the movie and you're, you're there- like experiencing it. There was a moment where all that stuff collided a little bit after that, right after my bridge um, stuff, right? Where uh, um, the bridge training put us at the point where Linkamok is like, they captured Chewie and I have to give up my droid. And the droid is how I got introduced into that storyline. I don't know if you noticed, but the droid actually has like one of the, the data band symbols on him and you could just walk up and scan him. Yeah, yeah. Linkamok asked and, me to uh, to interface with him, so that's how so I got involved. Linkamok didn't. Linkamok ca- uh, contacted me after and was like, "My droid's a little too friendly and might have given you some plans he shouldn't have." Um, <laughs> um, but so Sammy accuses Linkamok of being a traitor for giving up the droid and the plans that he has, and she's like, "No, this is how we have to do it. I've gi- I'm giving him up." can you help give him up so that we can do this other part of the mission to get, get Chewy free. And Sammy sort of reluctantly asks us all. And we're like, yeah, we trust her. We can do this. And so they're like, okay, so that we end the bridge training after we've gone to Hoth and talk to R2 and 3PO. And we walk outside the bridge and the first order is marching the droid. I don't know how they time this so perfectly. The first order is marching the droid right past the door to the bridge to the door, just to the right of it past the 
pods that would take you out of the the hotel, right? Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden, all the kids that were training with the Jedi, um, start screaming like everybody form a wall and they're directing all of the, like, I have no idea why these kids are shouting at me, but they're shouting like form a wall, everybody form a wall. No one gets through that door. And they block off that door completely with all of the people walking out of the bridge, me included. And that's when the other kids are dragging Chewie. Apparently they've had this heist that they did it. They pulled off during that same time to break Chewie out of the brig. Yeah. And that, on one of our videos, we we caught uh, part of that with the kids like relaying. They have to relay information like this password across the ship to be able to break into the brig and help free Chewie. And we we caught a bunch of that on video on Ordinary Adventures. We have like four videos on the whole experience. And some of my favorite moments that I got to experience were just watching kids interact with this and and seeing how how involved they get like it really feels to me like i don't want to like oversell this thing because i know this is expensive i know this is not something that everybody can do but i do feel like if i was a kid i i feel like watching these kids have these experiences like that kid that you know these kids that help break chewy out of the brig that's going to be a memory that they remember for the rest of their lives yeah, no, absolutely. I'm going to remember it for the rest of my life. Like <laughs> the emotion on those kids doing that is going to be imprinted on my brain for the rest of my life. By the way, I, I, this isn't something I experienced, but I wanted to relay this to you, Brian, because I was listening to another person on another podcast talk about this. And they mentioned that uh, they were on the bridge with the captain and one of the people on the the one of the passengers had the Battle of Yavin medals, which just as part uh-huh. of their costume. And the captain was about to give her like big speech about w- whatever was going on. And she's like, wait, before I begin, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge we <laughs> we have a war hero who is here with us today. You know, I, I don't know what part of the Battle of Yavin that this person played, but because they're wearing that medal... You know, they helped defeat the Galactic Empire. Oh, man. I love how they play with you and add that stuff in. Um, I had a cast member tell me that they really liked the pattern of my shirt and that they hadn't seen it in a while. And I was wearing a um, uh, one of the one of the shirts that Lando wears when he loses the Falcon to Han from Solo. <laughs> um, I had another one comment. I had another like Hawaiian shirt that day that was um, um, like it was like Gungan flowers, but with Jar Jar on it um, that that they like really commented on. So like when you play along and when you're in costume, um, you really um, you really they interact with you harder too. Cause they know you're on the level there. Yeah. It, it, I don't know. There was, um, there's a moment that we haven't posted yet because we haven't posted the video from our, from our second, uh, journey. The, the one on March 1st, where we were playing the first order. And there's a moment where, uh, this is actually the, the, the epic finale of my storyline, Brian, because you were asking about this is that I helped on Batu get 
it, some data tank uh, tapes on Batu onto the ship, which by the way, now after we didn't experience that on our journeys, but now if you do that and you get to the, the shuttle to go back to the ship, they actually have the, the package, the, the, the crate that you scanned and they have you bring it onto the, onto the shuttle to go bring it back to the ship. So they actually have well, like a physical thing. So during my finale, we got to open that up and use those to save the bridge and save the ship in engineering. So I probably had a similar thing to you. Uh, Lieutenant Cry was using these data tapes that we got on, but to, to basically it was how he gets to take over the ship. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm guessing that uh, took place probably before. Yeah. After. I don't know. Wait, so, would... so there was a situation like when I was going into my finale, um, we had to go into engineering, but engineering was locked up and Lieutenant Croy had a bunch of people in there. And like there were kids that had been in there that were resistance spying for the resistance with their parents that had been first order or some uh. the other way around. And they were like, they're in there sabotaging the ship because they've got found out and kicked out. Um, and so then we got a chance to go in there and Sammy and Chewie helped us repair all of the damage that had been done. And we had to use the data tapes to, uh, you know, we had to use the data tapes to, um, um, to retake over the, to, to retake over the ship. Yeah. So we're waiting outside the engineering room. Because we're we're trying to get into it or whatever. Lieutenant Croy is there. It's not yet time for the mission. And all of a sudden, Ray, she's who's on the ship, uh, walks out onto the like into the 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 walkway between the engineering room and the uh, you know the Jedi training, and the stormtroopers see her. And we, we captured this on video because I was like, what happens if those storylines like intersect and like the stormtroopers come over to her to arrest her? And of course, Ray uses the force, uses the uh, the Jedi mind trick to to escape. And it was just so cool to see it play out. Like it, it almost felt like I'm not I'm not I'm, I'm wondering if this is something that happens every single time or if this is something that just there was like an overlap of us not getting into the engineering room at the same time. And I, I saw this too. Like there was a moment I, I walked in on this. I was coming down the stairs and saw her mind tricking them. And I was yeah. like, I'm going to watch this for as long as I can and then back away slowly. <laughs> but it was such a cool moment. But th- then we got into the engineering room, took over the ship. And the cool thing about that, Brian is, we took over the ship and Lieutenant Croy is like, now that we have the ship, we're going to the bridge. Follow me to the bridge. So he took everybody that was in the engineering room, helping him take over the ship. And we just march up the stairs to the bridge, uh, through the atrium to the bridge. And now we're, we've taken over the ship and like, you know, we had a whole other mission uh, like on, on the bridge of the ship, which is, which was kind of interesting, but it was just cool that like, isn't this just a scene that takes place in this one room at a specified time it like takes you from like one level of the ship to another level of the ship to the bridge you know it it the story continues throughout the ship which is kind of just mind-blowing to me um i had mine as soon as we did that engineering thing i had something pop up on my um 
schedule for a secret debrief with the captain. And that's when we went to the bridge. I got to go to the bridge with like the 15 people that got to do that. And we started firing on the first order TIE fighters and destroying them and trying to escape with the help of, um, with the help of a blue squadron, a squadron of X wings from the resistance. When Kylo Ren's star destroyer arrived (laughs) and he gets out and that's when he boards the ship. And so like we got kicked out of the bridge to the muster call at the end to watch the finale. And we watched his ship, his tie echelon. That's the one parked out at galaxy's edge, um, arrive board and then watch everything play out from there because of what we did on the engineering. So while you were on the bridge doing your first order stuff, we were in engineering undoing all of your first order stuff. And then we got to go on the bridge after to fix all of that and then play up to the finale. Okay. So like the big, the biggest spoiler that I'm going to talk about is about to happen. So if you want to skip forward a couple minutes, please do, if you don't want to hear this, but one of the biggest things, one of my friends that I was with, uh, his name's Reza part of his mission. I'm not even sure how, what led him to this mission, but he had to scan some crates, over near Savi's on Batu, and in, in the course of that mission, he found a crate that contained some Jedi artifact, which he was told to bring on board the ship. And later on our data pads, we we got a a thing on our schedule, uh, which I think was actually like it had a different title. It was like Gaia Fan Club meeting or something like that. It wasn't actually the the thing that it was going to be because, like, you know, uh, the first order has uh, access to that uh, to that uh, itinerary and stuff like that. So it was it was disguised as something else. And we showed up to this at the at the lightsaber dojo, and in there is the crate that we found on Batu with the Jedi artifact. There is Ray. There is uh, the droid that's a board that we haven't really talked about um and uh one of the saja which the saja are the people that train you on the jedi lightsaber lightsaber training thing uh they are kind of what has been explained to us like kind of the descendants of the guardians of the will wills and uh by the way a lot of people a lot of people were like it's ridiculous why is there a lightsaber training on this ship but it everything has an explanation so the ship existed during the high republic and the jedi used to travel on the ship so they made them like a dojo for them to like practice on the ship when they were traveling and uh now that it's become this cruise ship for everybody to travel on jedi don't exist they they have the saja basically it's kind of like on cruises where you get to like learn how to like do a fun thing that doesn't really you know happen that much anymore in in our galaxy so that's why it's there anyway so so we were in this room and i'm in this room with like i want to say like 20 people maximum and they open this crate and inside it is revealed that luke skywalker's holocron which was thought to be destroyed was uncovered on batu that we uncovered it and the holocron magically you know the like you've seen it in the animated series. And so we got like at twists and turns and then out of nowhere, 
Yoda's hologram of Yoda appears above it. I don't know how they do this, <laughs> this magic that Imagineering has created, but it like literally projected like a holocron in the middle of the space. There's people, passengers on one side of the room, passengers on the other side of the room. It's not like, you know, the Pepper's ghost thing that we've seen them do before. It's not like what they do with Ray in Rise of the Resistance. This is like hologram of Yoda being projected a- above. And this moment is cool because of, well, it's cool because of a couple factors. Obviously, number one, you are experiencing moment that changes the Star Wars canon. You know, Luke Skywalker's holocron ex- exists. Ray now has possession of it. Two, it now adds the stakes here. So the First Order's aboard. Kylo Ren's coming. When he comes on board the ship, he cannot get his hands on this holocron. If he gets his hands on the holocron, this isn't just him taking over, you know, this passenger vessel that's existed for a couple hundred years. Uh, this this is a big galaxy-changing thing. And then uh, three, I'm experiencing this with, you know, two dozen people. And I, I've since learned that I think there's multiple things of this. So it's not just those two dozen people, but it feels like you are experiencing something special that only a few people are experiencing. And it comes into play in that epic lightsaber stunt show finale in, in, in a cool way, too. Um, did, did you get to experience this, Brian? I didn't get to experience that. I the the only part of the holocron story that I got to experience was at the end in the the big finale with everybody. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's interesting because I feel like you know two thirds to maybe three fourths of the people in on the ship don't even know that the, the, the holocron's on the ship until the end point where Kylo Ren comes aboard the ship and has this epic lightsaber battle with ray and it's he learns that it's on board and now now everybody in the atrium and everybody on the ship knows about it but it, it's i don't know it, i love that we all get to experience these little moments they feel so much more special because they feel like we experience them in a more intimate way and it's like it wasn't just everybody experiencing the same thing at the same time does that make sense yeah yeah. No, that makes absolute sense. So, um, we should talk about the. Uh, I, I know we got to wrap things up. Uh, we should talk about the the epic finale, the lightsaber battle. What, what did you think of the ending of this whole experience? Um, it was really amazing. Like it's, you know how you get really emotionally invested things when you're exhausted and after a day like on Batu and going through all these missions and being on the bridge things and. Um, experiencing all of that, getting to watch the story play out in its finality, um, uh, um, it's overwhelming in the best ways. It it's so weird because online, I feel like if you just watch this thing, it just seems like a stunt show. But if you have been in this on this Star Cruiser. For the for two days leading up to the these events, it feels like the epic conclusion. Everything that you have been a part of, every mission that you have done, every interaction that you've had has led up to this moment, and it it feels so much more special. 
and it really does feel like the climactic action scene. And when, when it ends and there's, you know, this whole firework celebration outside, it really feels like you were at the the end. You're you're in the celebration at the end of you know a Star Wars trilogy. It really feels like you're living it. Yeah. No, yeah. and then especially with the appearance of the holocron and how it how it comes out, um, you know it it it's really overwhelming. It's great. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It, it, I I guess the question here, Brian, it, it, is this worth it? This is an experience that costs. You know, if you're standing staying in a standard cabin, I think the cheapest you can get it if you're one person, I think might be like around four thousand ish. Dollars, and I think if you have like four or five people in there, it ends up being like six or seven thousand uh, dollars because it's you know you're paying for the food and all that. You're paying per passenger. You're not paying per room. So it's it's not a cheap experience. A lot of people are making. No. Yeah, you know, a lot of people are saying you know this is they've priced out uh, the lower middle classes with this experience, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it sucks. It sucks that not everybody's going to be able to experience this. What are your um, feelings? You know, maybe they'll have like a coupon day or something, which, <laughs> um, you uh, know, the, the Jurassic Park quote. No, yeah. I, you know, I do feel like on one hand, I really hate that people who are into Star Wars that would want to experience this might not be able to because they were priced out. Um, but on the other hand, I also really support the fact that there are a lot of artists uh, that that um, not just the the artists that that built the story and wrote it and um, put that all together, but those that are performing it on a day to day basis are compensated fairly for that effort and that Disney owns it and they can as much as I hate a system of capitalism that allows them to exploit that however they want to, they can. So it's like they can kind of set their own prices, but I'm so glad that it exists and it almost needs to have that pay premium. Otherwise no one would ever be able to get to book it. Right. It would just be full all the time, no matter what. Well, I don't even think you could do it without here's, here's the, the cost dynamics of this, which I don't think people are thinking of. They just think, Disney, they're money grubbing. They're trying to, you know, make as much money as possible. They are a company. They are trying to make as much money as possible. But I think an experience like this only works with a with a few hundred people. I don't think an experience like this could work, uh, you know, at scale with thousands of people. Yeah, I think I think you need only a few hundred people. Like the moment you you get to like five hundred people, I think this this would not work, and you have to build this place. You have to develop this, this hotel. You need to build it. You need to create the technology for it. You need to write all the stuff. You need to cast the, these amazing performance artists that are, I don't know how they do what they do. You have to get the, uh, pay all the cast members. You got to pay for the food. And all that is only paid for by a hundred up to a hundred families every two days. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like this isn't a hotel. Like, so you, you got to think like all those costs that normally get split. Like, you know, when you build like one of those grand hotels on Disney property, that's like thousands of rooms, all those costs are split between thousands of people every day. This is only split between uh, uh, up to a hundred families 
every journey, which is every two days. Well, there's ways to make it cheaper too, right? Like yeah. you could put together a group of three other friends to get one cabin and bring the cost down to about 1500 a person. That's what I would recommend. I, I, actually, yeah. I, I, I would, this is best experienced with a group of people that will want to get into this. And I would say, get yourself, you and three friends to book this $1,500 each is still expensive. But I know when I was 18 years old and I was working at Best Buy, uh, working retail at Best Buy, I I could save $1,500 for a vacation with my friends. Yeah. Um, I mean, you'd still be looking at like the airfare to get there and yeah. then probably a hotel on Disney property on either end because it's not like you're going to tra- travel all the way to Florida. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, especially on the West Coast, you're going to want to get there the day before to get there on time because that's more time on the ship that you get to spend. Um, and you want to do those things. You want to take the tour when you when you get on the ship. Yeah. Um, so the question here, Brian, is, is it worth it? Like I said, I'm putting money together to go back. Um, <laughs> I yeah. think it is. I absolutely think it is. And I think it is worth it to go back repeatedly to, to experience it in different ways and try to catch things that you didn't catch before because there's no way to, there's literally, it's not possible unless you could clone yourself to experience everything on one voyage. I've experienced it twice now and I have not even close to experienced any, like I would say I probably experienced maybe 50% of, I'm not even sure that that might even be high of what's going on. But um, I don't know. For me, I think it's worth it. I think the the question, is it worth it, is not a question I think we can answer for you out there listening because that question is highly dependent on, number one, your financial situation. Um, you know, m- number two, how much you you and your group love Star Wars. Although that said, I, I yeah. talked to some people that went on board, like wives and stuff like that, that weren't big into Star Wars and they still had like the time of their lives. Yeah. So, so I don't even yeah, think that is th- that highly dependent, but yeah. Yeah. No, so, I, it's just, it's fun. It's great. Like I, I'm sort of shocked. Like I have looked at some of the reviews where it's like, people are like, this isn't worth the money. And I'm just like, were we on the same voyage? <laughs> and it's like, I really do think that maybe maybe you get out of it as much as you put in. Yeah. Well, the, the other thing I see in reviews that I thought is very um, strange is there's people saying, if you're going to go, you have to be involved. You have to be actively involved yeah. to get get your money's worth. And I I disagree. I mean, I was actively involved, but I saw many people that were just hanging back, watching things happening, watching the kids break Chewie out of the brig, you know, experiencing moments in the same way I think he would and sleep no more. And I think that would be a fully worthwhile experience. I mean, are are you getting the full experience? No. But I, I think you could full you could fully get your money's worth just by by you know being a, an observer and not like yeah um, no I, like like I said like the the people I was with uh, my wife and our friend 
Um, um, they didn't do anything with the app. They barely interacted with people. Um, they did some of the interacting with uh, Lieutenant Croy, who who they loved. Um, and and they just sort of followed me around on my adventures without having to get too much into it. And I just sort of communicated the storyline to them. And they they said that they had a ball and they want to go back too. And they want to go back and invest more. They want to come back as characters, whereas that was not something that uh, <laughs> they had done. They wanted to do initially. Yeah. Going here really makes me feel like a little kid in a way that I thought nothing could more than Disneyland. Do you know what I mean? Like it really makes you want to play and makes you want to be involved. And like, I, you know, I dressed up for this, but I feel like next time I'm totally going to go overboard. I'm going to like create a character and create a costume and go full on out. It makes me want, it makes you want to buy in mm-hmm. to it all. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, any, anything left to say, Brian? Yeah. I mean, like we could spend two more <laughs> hours doing this cause there was so much stuff. And, and like, I think that comparing of notes about how you piece the story together is half the fun. Um, I would actually recommend like, if you're in a party of four, like have each of you split up in a different path so you can all piece the story together. Right. Like, Somebody go down the Jedi path. Somebody go follow Sandro around. Somebody go resistance. Somebody go first order. And so you can all kind of piece all that together. And by the way, when you do that, it's not like you're going to be apart all the time. You'll be together for your lightsaber training. You'll be together for your first bridge ops training. You'll be together for what? Your meals. Meals. Yeah. So there'll always be those things that uh, your Batu excursion Maybe you'll have different missions, but um, you'll be together for that. So it, it is definitely possible, but um, it's probably harder if you have a family with little kids to do different missions. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't even know what it's like to have a family and, and do this experience. I, I, I don't think I'd recommend it for anybody with with super young kid children. I think like six or seven is probably... I'm going to, I'm hoping I'm shooting Valkyrie is almost seven. Now I'm hoping to get there when she's eight. I think that's around the right age. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they have the, the activities for like the loath cats is what they call the kids. And I want to hear what those perspectives are. Oh yeah. They have their own like different track of doing yeah. things. Yeah. I feel like as an adult who doesn't have kids going to this, I could never experience everything. Because I will not get invited to the Lost Cat storylines. Yeah, no, that's true. But you just need to bring kids. <laughs> I just gotta find some kids to bring with me. There are uh, ways, dude. You don't want to know about them, but there are ways. If there was any way you could change this experience, Brian, how would you change it? Um, I don't know. Somehow, I feel like making it. Um, I don't know. On one hand, it's like I want to do it more. Right. So, yeah, changing it would make it cheaper so I could go more often. But um, I don't know. I I wish I hope that there's a way that they could tell stories in different parts of the eras. But I don't think there is with the way Batu works. Um, Because I would love to get a prequel story on the Halcyon and I would love to get a classic trilogy story on the Halcyon. And I'd love to get something in the Mandalorian area on the Halcyon. 
Um, but I don't think we're going to get those. Um, I would love for them to open up other experiences like this that aren't necessarily tied to the park. I would do this kind of stuff all the time. I think that's the other thing that people aren't taking into account with the price either, is that you're getting the pass to the park as well with the fast passes or the, you know, the, the, the fast entry to rise of the resistance and smugglers run. So you can spend an hour on Batu and do everything. Yeah. And that's worth something. And plus with the, that pin that they give you, you're basically treated like a VIP on Batu. Like, we yeah. didn't have reservations to Ogas, but we went over there and we're like, we're from the Halcyon. Is there any openings? They're like, we'll, we'll get you right in. And it, it was sold out 60 days ago. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's it's yeah. not like they had availability. They they were like, you know, so uh, it's kind of like paying a v- for a VIP tour in a way. Um, yeah. That pin is like your own plaid vest at Disney. <laughs> uh, I, I think... If I could change one thing other than the data pad being so self-contained to a n- not being practical, like I would like to see more things like, you know, that coaster moment in Oga's that you talked about, like more practical yeah. things. Yeah. Um, uh, like, I, oh, I, I was going to mention earlier that like there's a moment where my friend had to get like pick up a, a rock in the marketplace for a mission that involves is involved in a heist thing that goes on board the ship. And he just did it all in the data pad, hacking something. He got the rock in his inventory and went back to the ship. How cool would it be if like you actually did that and then like scanned your data pad at the, at the store and they gave you the rock to like bring aboard and then you got to give it to a character. Yeah. Like, it feels like no, it would be, would be cool. Yeah. How much more money would it cost them to, pay for a rock and paint well, it the color. It, it could be like logistics too. Like yeah. what character are you giving it to and how is their pocket going to be so full of rocks of everybody bringing them back? See, I've had this conversation, Brian. What I would do is I would say if we go on board, wrap it in a napkin and leave it for me at passenger services. Yeah, no, that works. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I well, that was what I loved about like the Wraith Cole thing where it's like, you need to go get a cocktail napkin and stuff it in your data band. And so I know to put you in on the heist. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that, that's so cool. I didn't, I, I, I still haven't participated in any of that stuff. So that's, that's something I want to do next time. Are you going again? Are you going to go again? I'm going to go again. I'm definitely going to go again. It's just a matter of when it's not a yeah. matter of if it's just a matter of when. Uh, but the one thing I would change other than the data pad is the, my complaint that this is exhausting is not something and I feel like a lot of people are complaining it's exhausting and I hope Disney doesn't hear that and like be like, Oh, we can cut back on stuff because I feel like it's good exhausting, but I almost wish they would take that criticism and offer different itineraries. And by that, I mean, maybe offer a 3d itinerary. Mm-hmm. So it could be, yeah, have a couple more things, but be a little bit more laid back. And then also offer a one day itinerary where someone can show up at 1 PM and they check out the next morning at 10 AM and they, they get a condensed version of the experience in one night. Um, people that can't afford, you know, the two night or three night experience. Like, I feel like there, I- there's room for that. I wonder if they're going to drop the price some too, because I think that's the biggest complaint, but I think you're right though. Like how do you support something that immersive without the cost? 
it's tough. There's only so much you can cut from it before it becomes not worth Disney doing. Yeah. And w- once you start cutting the cost, you have to cut the, the thing that costs them the most amount of money is the cast. Yeah. Uh, and I don't just mean the performers. I mean the cast members. And the minute you cut that from the from this experience. It doesn't work. No. So I, I, I hope they don't have to get to that because I, I love this experience so much. I, I like I said at the beginning, there there's literally not been an hour that's gone by since I've gotten home that I haven't thought back of like, I wonder what guy is up to. Yeah. <laughs> what, what is Sammy up to? What's going on? Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I, I, uh, I really, it is really secured a place in my heart, this experience. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay, uh, Brian, where can we find more of your work online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter or uh, at Swankmotron or at swankmotron.com. Um, and I'm writing stuff up, uh, you know, every week for Slash Film. Mainly I cover Star Wars, but I delve into other things. I have other interests. Not that you would know that <laughs> listening to me talk on this show. Okay, you can find more of me at slashfilm.com. If you, uh, if you haven't seen uh, the Ordinary Adventures coverage of this uh this this whole experience we have four videos that chronicle the entire thing so if you if you don't care about spoilers you want to see what it really is like because we haven't even touched upon so much of it here uh i'll put a link to the show uh uh, them in the show notes and if you want to see what brian looks like you uh you can sit there you're 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 in there by the way it was funny uh so uh someone i know like messaged me it was like I said to my wife while I was watching, I was like, oh, my God, that's the guy I listened to on the podcast, the, the Mandalorian podcast. I um, <laughs> He just heard your voice. <laughs> yeah, I had somebody at my day job go, uh, We I got into a meeting with them, and they're like, I saw you on Ordinary Adventures. And I was like, okay, I need to quit now. <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm out. Uh, uh, yeah. No, well, to be fair, yeah. that, that, that first video got like a half a million views at this point. It's It's done incredibly well. A lot of people are. A lot of people are curious about this experience. Yeah, and they should be. And I hope, I hope, um, I hope they get to check it out. Yeah, uh, you can find more of Slash Film Daily on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter@slashfilm.com. And please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow.